it's Dr. Kieran here. Welcome to Bridging Medical Paradigms. In the vast and varied landscape of medicine, from the traditional to the modern, the complementary to the conventional, all paired with shifts in societal, technological and political trends, it is a tricky and tiring affair to keep on top of. My aim is to leave you feeling empowered in your engagement with healthcare, to mitigate unnecessary experiences and aim for more positive outcomes. Let's get started. Last week, we looked at our marvellous musculoskeletal system and made the connections between strength and muscle functionality. Today, we are going to tackle ageing and our musculoskeletal system. I was thinking that a good place to start would be the model of the two types of ageing, primary and secondary ageing, that was introduced in 1969 by Ewald Booth. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He was a psychiatrist and pioneer of gerontology. Gerontology is the study of ageing and older adults. And with an increase in the ageing population, the science, as well as the ideas and understanding of the ageing process, is constantly evolving. It's by no means static. From what I understand, primary ageing is what's already built into our bodies at the cellular level, from the point of conception. It's in our DNA, our our genetics. It determines our normal processes of development, including growth, repair and degeneration over our entire lifespan. It's also related to our chronological age, the number of years lived, starting from the day that we are born. In relation to our musculoskeletal system, here are some key moments of primary ageing. Bear in mind the exact time and extent to which these changes occur are variable for each individual, subject to different factors. Are you ready? Here goes. Have you ever seen a baby thread a needle? I don't think so, because from birth they haven't yet made those connections between their nervous system and their muscles. This is in a phase of constant development where the baby, through to being a toddler, is having to develop those fine motor skills. The more precise control of smaller muscles in the hand, fingers and wrist, for example, to begin to be able to hold a rattle, to eating a cracker by themselves, and drawing with a crayon, and to develop those gross motor skills to control large muscles, such as those in the arms and the legs, to be able to sit up, and eventually pull themselves up to stand and then walk. Then there's that growth phase in the early years, where bones grow using growth plates. These are softer and weaker areas of bone, at the ends of the lung bones in children and teens. It determines the future length and shape of the mature bone. Because the growth plates are soft and weak, they are especially vulnerable to fracture from accidents such as a fall, chronic stress or from overuse such as in children that specialise in one sport, for example tennis and they're doing that same repetitive movement without sufficient rest. Once our growth is complete, sometime during adolescence, it varies. The growth plates close and are replaced by solid, denser bone. Generally, the amount of bone tissue in the skeleton peaks by the mid to late 20s, 
when bones reach their maximum strength and density. This is called the peak bone mass. The strength and density of this peak bone mass is something that contributes to the bone health for the rest of our lives. During our 30s or 40s, we experience a decrease in our skeletal muscle mass. That means there is also a decrease in our muscle bulk and strength. The rate of this decline then begins to accelerate over time. At the cellular level, the total number of muscle cells and fibres decrease and shrink in size. There is wear and tear or wasting of the protective cartilage of joints. Joint movement becomes stiffer and less flexible as the amount of lubricating fluid inside the joints decreases and the cartilage becomes thinner. Ligaments also tend to shorten and lose some flexibility, making the joints feel stiff. Stiffening and fibrosis of connective tissue elements that reduce the range of motion and affect movements by making them less efficient. There is a loss of bone tissue, leading to a decrease in bone density and strength. Due to these structural changes in our bones, muscles and joints, there is a loss of height. Studies show that people typically lose almost one centimetre every 10 years after 40. This speeds up after around 70. There's also kyphosis that may occur. You know that um, exaggerated forward rounding of the upper back. There's changes in the total body weight. Um, This varies between men and women. Men often gain weight until their mid-50s and then begin to lose weight later in life. This may be in association with a decrease in the hormone testosterone, which plays a role in fat distribution and the building and maintenance of muscle mass. Women usually gain weight until their late 60s and then begin to lose weight. This weight loss occurs partly because there is a replacement of lean muscle with fat tissue. Lean muscle weighs more than fat. There's also a decrease in bone density. In general, fat tissue builds up towards the centre of the body, including around the internal organs. For women, the hormonal changes, such as a a decrease in oestrogen, progesterone and testosterone in menopause, triggers loss of minerals in bone tissue. This affects the bone density. For both men and women, there are also neurological changes marked by a decrease in nerve activity and conduction, which in turn worsen those age-related changes in the muscle, meaning that the brain-to-nerve-to-muscle connection is less responsive, impacting muscle functionality. Do you remember we spoke about uh, muscle functionality last week? In contrast... Secondary ageing refers to the negative impact of external factors on ageing. These are multifaceted, ranging from lifestyle choices, what we put into and on our bodies, for example, smoking, cigarettes, too much drinking, our environment, poor nutritional intake, not enough hydration, unmanageable stress levels, having low mood, poor sleeping habits, not enough mental activity, not enough um, physical activity. For example, studies have shown that physical inactivity can be a key secondary factor affecting muscle aging. 
being linked to muscular adaptations, including reductions in muscle volume and power. There's also incidences of injury, infection and disease. The list goes on. Think of them like risk factors that are to such an extent that they challenge the normal cellular structure and functionality in our bodies, which in turn impacts our processes of development, including growth, repair and degeneration. Therefore, there is this degree of interplay between our primary ageing and risk factors. The product of this is our biological age. Our biological age can be derived using a combination of specific physiological measurements. Now, over time, with advancements in science and technology, this has become more sophisticated. It can indicate that we are younger, the same or older than our lived years. It's not just aesthetic, like you can't be 30, you look like a teenager, but down to the quality of our cellular structure and functionality that in turn affects all our life processes, from the rate at which our muscles degenerate, how quickly we recover from injury or illness, how susceptible we are to falls and fractures, the list goes on. And what's quite interesting is that as research on ageing is evolving, studies are showing that the division between the products of primary and secondary ageing are becoming a harder task to separate. It's becoming even more challenging. This leads me on to the term pro-aging. I've seen it being used more frequently now in the beauty industry as opposed to anti-aging. It refers to using lotions and potions to more so celebrate and enhance your beauty at any age rather than masking the work of the hands of time. It's a subtle but I feel powerful shift into perceiving the aging process in a positive context for you to feel content with how far you've come through the highs and lows and in control with the behaviours you've adopted rather than dictating your life by a series of ageist stereotypes. Ageist stereotypes shoot from all angles, not only the media. For example, it may be in the way people portray themselves. I'm old and I'm decrepit, what's the point? Or the way people perceive those that are older than them, like hello grandad. I think pro-aging should extend to all areas and phases of life. We can tweak and turn around the risk factors, for example. Looking at the chief medical guidelines for infants, making sure that infants are physically active, including movements such as reaching, grasping and pushing and pulling. During this period, movements support infants to, to develop their gross and fine motor skills. There are now studies demonstrating that the benefits to bone mass density from physical activity in childhood and teenagers are partly preserved in adulthood, accompanied by lower fracture incidents in adulthood. Or, as we grow, making it a habit to fit in that brisk walk to break up periods of inactivity, we'll get our free dose of WD-40 to lubricate our joints, our brain will feel fresher, our body will feel warmer, Go listen to episode 5 for more on aerobic exercise. Or we can do our strength training to increase our muscle to fat ratio and bone density, as well as improving our nerve to muscle connection. We'll talk more about that next week. 
Given what we have just spoken about, whatever life stage you are at, can you think of any musculoskeletal changes you have noticed? Can you think of any areas of risk in your lifestyle choices? Can you think of any unhelpful ideas about ageing that you've heard or that you tell yourself? Okay, I'll leave that with you. That's a wrap. To end, it doesn't matter what stage we are in our life. Today, I really wanted to highlight this connection between primary, secondary ageing and the idea of pro-ageing. Ageing is not fixed and one-dimensional. It's complex, but simple at the same time. We have the power in our day-to-day choices to start tweaking and turning around those risk factors. And it doesn't need to be, and it shouldn't be costly or or excessive. Starting small, not getting overwhelmed in a safe, kind and measured way. And of course, listening to our bodies. I will hope to talk about all of this in more depth in the future. I just wanted to open this door to anyone that may need it. And I even need to tell myself this, you know, all these things every now and again. Next week, we're going to finally delve into what strength training is. I hope you're finding this helpful so far and I'll see you next week. Bye.